0: Today, we continue in the book of Acts. So, in our passage today, we see that the trial continues. The effect of the gospel is on display in the apostles. What we're going to see that is that after Pentecost and the great awakening that happens there, the pressure is upon the apostles to begin to explain and proclaim this gospel And despite the growth that happens initially, and and there is more growth that goes along as we'll see again in our passage today, the pressure begins to mount that things are not going to be easy anymore. The longer they get away from Pentecost, the harder the circumstances become for these men. At first glance, we might be tempted to think, well, where is God I mean, he was there, and there's this great revival, and, and yes, he's adding to the church in number, but things are going to start to get difficult, and it, it's not going to be as pretty coming up. As a matter of fact, people are going to begin to be persecuted heavily. As we see in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are literally taken captive and brought before the Sanhedrin. And put on trial for it in 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 all um, respects. At first glance, we might again think, well, why is God doing this, and why are things getting progressively harder, but and not easier? Uh, there's an important answer to this question. As the heat grows, and as the persecution begins to happen, the humanness is burned off, and these men begin to glorify God in great ways. In, in even more profound ways. See, it's when persecution comes that sinfulness, fleshliness, selfishness is burned off. And that's what we see in these men. These men begin to glorify God more and more as persecution comes. Thus, God is glorified more in the pressure increases. Beloved, in chapter 4 of Acts we begin to see the heat being turned up on these disciples of Jesus. And what we see is God is greatly glorified in these simple, simple, uneducated fishermen from Galilee when persecution comes. Today we're going to see the glory of God on display in the apostles at their first trial for the cause of Christ. So today I want to challenge you that you can know also and you can glorify God also when you face difficulties in your life. You must understand that difficulties in your life and circumstances in your life are opportunities to exalt the Savior. God does not bring these things into our life to just punish us. He brings these things into our lives so that we can exalt God in a sense Maturity is shown through the pressures of persecution. You get to see who you really are when the flames of persecution come. And when trials come into your life. I'm so encouraged by these men. And I want to be like these guys. That no matter what the circumstances, they exalt Christ. Last time we saw the trial of the uh, apostles takes place and we went over how it breaks down. The arrest is found in verses 1 through 3. The reception is found in verse 4. And 5 and 7, 5 through 7, there's an interrogation. And then the men boldly proclaim the defense as Mark read this morning. And the reply we'll see today as they reply to their defense. And the deliberation is found in verses 15 to 17. The verdict is found in verses 18 to 20. Then there's the release and the worship. In this passage, we're going to just kind of keep walking down through it. Today, last week, we made it through the first three stages of the trial. And this week, Lord willing, we'll cover another three stages and hopefully get through the verdict. I want to pick up again in Peter's initial defense, found in verses 8 to 12. It was a masterpiece of logic, clarity, and boldness. And we saw last week in the defense, in verses 8 through 12, that ultimately Jesus was on trial again. And Peter, however, gives this Christocentric defense. That is, a Christ-exalting, Christ-focused, Christ-centered message in its defense. It's all about Jesus. We saw that the Spirit stepped up to defend the person and work of of Jesus, working through the apostle the spirit literally took control of peter as peter humbly submitted to the lord then peter respectfully yet boldly gave his defense i want to want make one more main observation concerning this and, and again i want to stop and focus in on this is that peter uses this to exalt christ and his name specifically this idea of jesus name being the main focus of his attention. Jesus was the focus of Peter's defense, not himself. The name of Jesus is another way of saying the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking on this. This fits very well with, our, uh, with the deaf. And I, I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's a perfect illustration of this. That when you get to know the deaf and they become friends with you, they give you a sign name. By the way, if you don't have a sign name, then that, maybe that means that you need to spend a little bit more time getting to know our deaf and our congregation. See, as longer the longer you get to know them, they, they get to know you, and then they give you a sign name. And the sign name, for example, I don't know if you all have seen Tom. He's the, uh, the big guy that has a deep voice. Uh, his sign name is a T, and he puts it on his muscle here, like this, because he's a muscular guy. Okay, so his sign name is this. He doesn't say anything, he just does this. They know what that is. And for Omar, his, his sign name was uh, this. And it, it came from here, like this. And it's an H, and it went from his chin down. And you know why that was? Because he was all about his daughter, Kalen. This is his daughter. And the idea is, is they identify us by one name. That name identifies you. Same way with Jesus and His name. When it talks about His name in the Bible, it talks about who He is and what He's done. And so whenever His name was mentioned or in the name of Jesus, it was talking about who Christ is and what He's done. And notice how many times in the context that this idea or concept of name has been mentioned. Look over at Acts 2 again. In Acts 2, 38, Peter said to them, Repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 3, 6 it says, But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, talking to the lame man, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. Then we look over at, 316, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Then in verse 410 it says, and let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Then notice even in 4.17, look over there, 4.17 and 18 it says, But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. So even the Sanhedrin got it. They knew what the name meant. It wasn't just the name Jesus. Don't use that name Jesus anymore. It was about the person and work of Jesus. Verse 18, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And even afterwards, the disciples' prayer and their worship includes a reference to the name of Jesus. In verse 30 it says, While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So the idea is it's mentioned over and over, the name of Jesus. So when Peter gives his defense in 4.8-12, he concludes with this verse that every single one of you should have memorized. 4.12, get it. Understand it. 4.12 is one to live by, to hold in your back pocket. And there is no in salvation or excuse me, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven that has been given among men. Beloved, this is pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty exclusive, isn't it? It's pretty Christ-centered, isn't it? It's all about Christ. I was so encouraged this week. You know, John MacArthur, often when he preaches his sermons, you know, he's got a a, a main focus that he's trying to get across in the the conference. But for the last two, especially, he's taken... And one of the messages is just talking about Jesus. (laughs) All he does is takes a passage that talks about Christ... And he exalts Christ. His second message was all about Christ. It's what it's all about. That's who we are. That's what we talk about. That's who we exalt. The depth of truth revealed in this verse is all about... You you could literally fill a systematic theology book with just this verse. If you explained all that was entailed here. This is so exclusive. No one else. No other name. Beloved, I want to take a moment and explain just how important the exclusivity of Jesus is. We all hear the name Jesus used often. But the important thing to remember is the only Jesus that should be submitted to is the Jesus of the Scripture. The one that Peter was speaking of here. This can't be emphasized enough. Mormons say they believe in Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses say they believe in Jesus. Roman Catholics say they believe in Jesus. Muslims say they believe in Jesus. Baptists say they believe in Jesus. Presbyterians say they believe in Jesus. Pentecostals say they believe in Jesus. Does this mean all these people are saved? No. Again... It is not the word Jesus that saves us. It is the person and work of the Jesus revealed in the Bible that saves us. It is the name that's associated with his identity, who he is. It's the second member of the Trinity. Beloved, this is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, I heard a a great line in the conference this week that was profound. If you want everybody in the secular world to love you, just eliminate the articles from that. These. Make them A's. Everybody will love you. If you say Jesus is a way, a truth, and a life, they all go, yes. They'll love you. You put the article back and guess what happens? You're excluded, you're intolerant. Beloved Jesus is not one of many ways to God. He is the only way to God. And just as important as important as this, it is only the Jesus of the Bible that is the way to God. Only the one that's associated with the name revealed in scripture. I think every person should evaluate the Jesus they trust in. Now that's a profound thought, isn't it? You need to examine whether or not the Jesus that you believe in is the Jesus of the Bible. My friends, we are growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, yes. But as we grow, if we reject clear biblical teaching concerning who Jesus really is and how he saves... We're in trouble. Do you understand? That's important. If we identify our Jesus as someone different than what the scripture says, guess what? We have an idol. Not a God. A man-made God. There are many people that claim they know Jesus. I was on the flight uh, to L.A. from L.A. to Tampa. And I... I looked over at this young lady, and I was talking to her a little bit about the gospel, and I, I, I presented the gospel to her, and by the end of the conversation, she just smiled at me like, yeah, that's yeah. I do need to read my Bible more. Thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah I need to read my Bible good. And and it was like, yeah, she was like, okay, yeah, I can get it. I get it. And so I was working on my sermon. I went back to working on my sermon. I got to this person, I said, man, I'm going to ask her a hard question. I'm going after it. I'm gonna go. I'm really gonna go in and give this to her. And I said, "Can I ask you a question?" She said, "Sure." I said, "You know, there's Jesus. You said you're Roman Catholic. Jesus. People say that they believe in Jesus. That are Roman Catholic. They also Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and Muslims all say they believe in Jesus. And and Protestants say that too. How do we know which Jesus is true?" Which one's the right one? She said, aren't aren't they all? I mean, everybody. You know, if they believe in Jesus, that's not." I said, let me read the verse I'm going to talk to you about tomorrow. And I read the scriptures and I said, you know, this is pretty exclusive. And Jesus is the Jesus revealed in the Bible. Is your Jesus the Jesus of the Bible? Or is it the Jesus that we've made up in our mind? Kind of change the top, the smile a little bit. Y'all can pray for her, okay? She needs the Lord. I think all of us should evaluate that, shouldn't we? And I think there is a sense where as we embrace Christ, we are going to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. And there are going to be things that we're probably not really going to like about the Jesus That the Bible's there. It's going to kind of rub against us occasionally. Things like, you must love me more than father, mother, brother, sister. You must, in fact, hate them in comparison to me. In other words, you must love me so much that they should become not as important. That's a different Jesus, isn't it? Than what the world sells you. Beloved Christ, the Jesus of the Bible, saves. Yes, He does. But it's only the Jesus of the Bible. If Jesus is not God who became man and died on a cross for our personal sins and rose from the dead and is presently ruling and reigning in heaven, then we're following the wrong Jesus. Do you understand? If if we think of anything different than that, if He's not your Lord and Savior... Listen, you can't just be—you can't just look at Jesus and say, "I believe in Jesus," and He's not the one that's everything to you. He's not your king. He's not your lord. Then there's a problem. I was really encouraged. A guy that teaches at at uh, Idlewild, you know, the big mega church over here. Um, I just lost his name. Ends. Paul Ends. Doctor Paul Ends. He wrote the Moody Bible Handbook. I heard this week that he has done a revised version of the Moody Bible Handbook, and he was out at the Shepherds' Conference. Conference, Praise the Lamb, that's good. It's great news. Well, the revision is this, that he has gone back and said that the non-lordship concept is unbiblical. He revised the Moody Bible Handbook and said that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you're not believing in the right Jesus. Praise the Lamb. Isn't that great? I'm thankful. Even in a church like Idaho, you got guy, a guy that's teaching a Sunday school class. He's going to tell the truth. People are going to get saved. Praise God, right? I think we all need to stand up and say, this is the Jesus of the Bible. Let's stand for Him. In our culture... Self-focused and self-defining religion is the method of choice. We are a narcissistic society that desires to define words and events and people our way. Do you understand? We're so self-absorbed with making religion about how we define religion. Listen to me closely, beloved. Jesus is ultimately not defined by your heart or your mind. It's defined by Scripture. He is defined by Scripture. Oh, I'm shocked by this. How many people have fallen into the trap of saying, I believe in Christ and then later on fall away. I think it's because they defined Jesus and they had a wrong Jesus. Yet this verse also in 4.12 is full of hope, isn't it? Lots of hope. Salvation. (laughs) Salvation. There is salvation in no one else, but the opposite is definitely implied, right? There is salvation in biblical Jesus. Praise God, right? We can be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin through Jesus Christ. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be declared right in God's sight. We can have relationship with our Creator who enables us to glorify Him daily. Through Jesus, our hope is in Jesus. He is the only way to this salvation. And yet at the same time, it's convicting because it's no other name. For Peter is saying this, Peter Peter was drawing a line in the sand and saying, Listen to me, Sanhedrin, listen to me closely. The one whom you killed, the one whom God raised from the dead, he's the only way. There's no other way you're going to get saved. There's no other way you're going to be able to be delivered. No matter how self-righteous you are and no matter how many religious works you do, you are not saved unless you come to the Jesus that you killed and God raised from the dead. In effect, he's saying embrace Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you killed and God raised from the dead or you will be lost forever. That's what he's saying. There's a bold, clear line here, isn't it? I'm shocked by this. I'm encouraged by this. The same Peter that denied Jesus is now boldly saying that he's the only way. So he states with a firm excer- exhortation, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men which by which we must be saved. And again... The apostles encountered the living God, right? That's why they act like this. And the fear and the doubt expressed even long after the Great Commission. Remember at the Great Commission, some were doubting? Remember that? Why is that gone? The answer is the Holy Spirit had opened their eyes to see the glory of Christ. And now, they're totally different people. Once you fully understand Jesus, the Lamb of God... You're ready to go. The word of God comes alive. You understand even the Old Testament. That's what happened with them. Listen to me, beloved. When you know and understand the glory of Jesus Christ, you will boldly proclaim his name. That's a fact. Love for him is natural for the person who has been loved by him. Correct? Correct. We see next the results of an encounter with Jesus are obvious to all. Look at this. Look at this. In verse 13 and 14 it says Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. In effect, the reply was, we have no reply. We can say nothing. Giving a defense requires boldness, doesn't it? And boldness comes from God as he quickens the heart to glorify himself. And notice, everyone recognizes this boldness on display. Notice, the Sanhedrin observed the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John the sanhedrin also understood that they were uneducated and untrained men the sanhedrin were amazed by these two realities these true two truths why was that amazing to them think about this for a second their whole mindset in the sanhedrin was if you are educated you got it if you're not educated you don't and only those that blessed with a great brain that can know everything and can memorize great things and know all of the Talmud are the really great orators, the men of God. Only those can speak with boldness and clarity. It was totally opposite of the way that they had thought. These were untrained, uneducated men. But ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly what God does. Praise the Lamb. I was talking to Paul Washer last night. It was such a great thing, man, sitting in an airport talking to Paul Washer. It was so encouraging. Spent an hour just personal conversation with Paul Washer. It was so encouraging. I think he took down our name and number, and I'm going to try to get a hold of him. I'm hoping one day he's going to come speak. He's just really a neat guy. He's got a heart for missions. He loves people, wants people to know the gospel. He spoke at the conference and did one on the Great Commission and did a message on the Great Commission. It was just excellent. But I, I was just so encouraged by him. We were sitting there talking and I said, you mentioned that you didn't finish, you dropped out of seminary. Did you ever finish? And he said, yeah, I did. he said, but you know, I'm just a plain, ordinary, simple, dumb guy, you know, something to that effect. You know, I'm not. I'm just a simple guy. I just sat there and I was like, "Oh, yeah, me too." <laughs> <laughs> me too. we were both. We were worshiping God, sitting in the airport. I'm sitting on the floor, and he's sitting there, and he's been a. And we just sat there and worshiped the Lord because he takes simple, ordinary, plain guys like me and Paul Washer to proclaim the glories of God. This is what God does. Why? So God gets all the glory. These religious elites couldn't grasp it. They couldn't get it. It didn't make sense. It made them stand and marvel. What? These guys? Are you kidding me? Fishermen? Uneducated fishermen? Not only were these religious elites amazed, they were speechless. Look at verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. They could not argue with the truth. They could not argue with the proof. They could not say anything because the lame man was standing right next to him, And a man who had been lame for more than 40 years was now walking. And the disciples who were untrained, uneducated men were standing there proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the way our God is. <laughs> he loves to stop the mouth of the arrogant. He loves to humble the proud with the weak things of this world. Do you understand that that's what God's all about? Why? So he gets the proper glory he deserves. Oh, there's so many scriptures just flooding in my mind. Look at Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, our passage today. Ah, this is so glorious. This is a worship psalm. Psalm 82, 2, it says, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. There's a picture here that he's trying to make. I take the weakest, the most vulnerable of them all, and I raise them up just to crush my enemies. I take the least, raise them up just to smack my enemies. Why? Because it's the theme of the whole psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens? God is displaying his splendor above the heavens. He is displaying his glory by taking little, weak things just to crush the enemy, the arrogant, the proud. Oh, there's a warning here for us in this, isn't there? What is the warning? Check pride. Who are you? Do you think there's all that? Does your opinion... Do you think your opinion is the most important thing for people to listen to? Does your opinion matter? Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the Word of God. The glory of Jesus. That's all that matters. He's the king. Once again, God was glorifying himself in Acts. Through two lowly, uneducated fishermen. Notice again what they realized about these untrained, uneducated, bold preachers. It literally says, And began began to recognize them as having been with jesus so here we see the sanhedrin associated the men who were boldly proclaiming jesus as the ones who had been with the carpenter's son just like before when the jews were shocked at jesus speaking truth without being trained as recorded in john 7 15 now they were seeing his disciples speaking the truth like him they were doing it too This is the effect of a true God-honoring relationship with the risen Lord. This is what happens. When we are empowered and we are illumined by the Spirit of God through the truth of God, we are changed and we look and we act like our Savior. Do you understand? I'm struck again by these words and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Look, look at these words. Oh, beloved. you Look at it. And began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Does that sound a little familiar, the wording? And began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Who's there? Who are they recognizing? Peter. Recognizing Peter. They're recognizing Peter as being with Jesus. Boy, does that sound familiar? How about turn over to Luke chapter 24. Oh, it's shocking. It's shocking. It's shocking. Look at Luke 24. I was, I was on the plane, and I got to this spot. And I was like, that poor girl was there. She didn't have a chance. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting there. Ha! Oh, this is good. Oh, by the way, this, by the time I got to this point, I was on the second flight. So it was another lady, and she got the gospel too. And she goes to Idlewild too. <laughs> she got the gospel. <laughs> She's not in Pauline's class, but she needs to. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. That it's got out of control there. <laughs> she needs to go to Pauline's class. <laughs> All right. Look at this. Look at this. This is amazing. It was right there. And the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the fire, firelight and looking intently at him. This is... Peter, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another one saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man was also with him. For he is a Galilean too. One One of the... When the, uh, one of the gospel accounts even says they recognized him as being with Jesus. <laughs> talking, and notice he says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking a Rooster Crowed. Who is the same person over in Acts 4 that they recognize as being with Jesus? Peter. This is less than 60 days later. And how does he respond now? He's totally different. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of the gospel in our hearts. The power of the Holy Spirit taking the gospel and exposing it to our souls. We then boldly proclaim Christ. Previously, Peter had been recognized as being with Jesus. And Peter was cowardly. And he denied Jesus. But now, a totally different Peter is present. Why? Look at Acts 4.8. Why? Why is Peter coming before the Sanhedrin with no excuses? Answer. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, He's under the control of the Spirit Empowered by the word of God, knowing the glory of Christ, and he proclaims boldly there's no other name to be saved. Oh, this is good, isn't this good? And God not only took an untrained, uneducated fisherman and made him his prophet, he also took a wicked, cowardly sinner and made him his prophet. Oh, this is glorious news, isn't it, for us sinners? Is this not good news for all of us in this room? Oh, it reminds me of First Corinthians. Look over there. This my friends is good news for us. Look at 1 Corinthians one twenty six. This is it. For consider your calling, brethren. That there were not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of this world and the and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. Oh, this is the gospel itself. The gospel is foolishness to the world, correct? But the gospel lived out in us is also foolishness to the world. It humbles all. No one can stand before God and say, I was something, therefore you chose me. No one can boldly proclaim the gospel if they think that it's about them. But everyone who is humbled by the gospel and knows the glory of the gospel proclaims the gospel humbly and boldly, knowing that he is good. The gospel itself is foolishness, like I said to the world. And yet also the ones who proclaim the message were previously foolishness to the world too. The despised. Why? So that God will get all the glory from the beginning to the end in all people. That he will be firstborn among all. We see this in Acts 4, don't we? Notice, however, the awe does not cause conversion. <laughs> you would think. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think I'm about to explode up here with the glory of the gospel. I literally are just bursting. I just, ah, it's so good. And I think, man, I'm about to explode with the glory of the gospel. And I think, man, how can people not be moved by the glory of the gospel? How can they see and hear the glory of Christ and see a man just absolutely giving everything? That's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you the glory of Christ. And yet, people walk away and they don't get it. How can that happen? Well, we see it in the deliberation. Look what happens. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Is this not shocking? It's shocking to me. Even after reading this several times and knowing the depravity of mankind, the depravity of mankind still shocks me to this day. I am still shocked every day almost by the depravity of man. Aren't you? The depth of man's, mankind's depravity never ceases to amaze me. Yet again, we see just how illogical and blind the heart is of mankind. You see it, isn't it blind? In verse 16, a question is raised: What shall we do with these men? These men. What shall we do with these men? Well, the obvious answer to that question is what? Listen to them. Listen to them. They know God. And they know Jesus Christ. The obvious answer is that. But that's not what they're thinking. They're asking this question with the idea that they need to be rejected. They need to be silenced. They ask the question assuming... That they need to be dismissed and get out of here. we got to get rid of these guys. But they should have fallen on their faces and repented before a holy God, shouldn't they? After what they had just heard. What they had just seen. They even saw the miracle. The miracle was standing there. By the way, Ruth, listen. The amount of miracles is going to save a man. Except the miracle of regeneration through the gospel. Oh, my dear ones, look at Acts 4.16. They say we cannot deny a miracle has happened. The fact of the miracle is undeniable. They had seen it. They marveled at the men's boldness and clarity of speech, and they knew they were associated with Jesus. And yet in 4.17, they said, But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Okay, do you see how contrary this is. Peter just said no other name can a person be saved. And they turn around and say, no one is supposed to speak about this name. They see a miracle. They see the boldness. They see the clarity. It is truth screaming at them. Don't say his name. (laughs) This is what we're dealing with. It's shocking, isn't it? And they literally say, let's threaten them to stop speaking to anyone in this name. What name? Of course, it's Jesus. So they know that the man was healed by the power and authority of Jesus, yet they still reject him. Crazy, isn't it? This is how wicked the ma- mankind's heart is. And beloved, I want to warn you that that remnant of sinfulness is still within all of us. No, we are not totally blind. But the differences and divisions in the body of Christ reveals that sinfulness still remains. Do you understand? All you got to do is count the number of different denominations and churches and concepts out there, and you can see the remnant of sin in people's lives. It's fact. Beloved, sin blinds. So turn to Jesus. You know, I'm almost convinced that one of the main reasons why we do don't have a unity within the body of Christ as a whole with these issues is pride. We get those even at Shepherds Conference. I had conversations with people that were just absolutely stuck on their systematic or their system of thinking, their theology, and they get it so enriched, it entrenched in their heart. Their pride won't let them look at the other side. I'm the same way. I had to fight that. I had to kill that regularly. I think everybody in the room is like that. Sin blinds us, mankind as a whole is totally blind. And we only see dimly. The reason for threatening the men to not talk about Jesus anymore was their concern that they would that his name would spread among the people. They just could not stand the idea of the people embracing Jesus. This would threaten their position and power. Again, probably pride is their motivation. Probably, if you look at other passages, you see that they did not want to lose control. And it makes us irrational. And they were irrational. It was right there in front of them. Pride makes us irrational. And yet we think we're what? Rational. Pride makes us illogical. But we think we're logical. Oh, I need Christ. How about you? I need Jesus now, this minute, and the next second, and the next second. I need the Spirit to work in my heart constantly. You can see why Paul would say something like pray without ceasing, right? Oh, I need you. I need you. I need you. I'm vulnerable every minute. Beloved, we see the verdict. Look. Look. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all. At all in the name of Jesus? What? What are you doing? But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. First notice The verdict is handed down, and it is that irrational verdict. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is almost comical if you think about it. The God of the universe has set their hearts free, these men, Peter and John, to know and enjoy Jesus, yet they were commanding them not to speak about the source of their joy and satisfaction. They were saying, do not teach and speak in that name that saves or can save people. And the only way to save people, totally irrational. But notice the defendant's response to the verdict. I love this. They are just totally different people. Before, John, remember, John's a guy. Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and just zap them? Let's just wipe them out. Now, John and Peter say, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, when you see this, they say, in effect, there is no way we will stop speaking about Jesus and what he has done for us. In other words, they say it boldly, but the way they word it is one that actually confronts the people again. If you look closely, you need to think about what you're doing is what they're saying, they were calling them to wise up, check yourself. Peter and John said, realize that we are with God, and if you oppose us, you are opposing God. By the way, that theme's going to show up in a couple chapters. It's going to happen again. That same theme. By saying this, saying it this way, they presuppose that they were with God in the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin was opposing God. They spoke as the Old Testament prophets had spoken. We cannot and we will not stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. Beloved, we need more people of God like this today. We need to be like this. People who will stand up and say, there is only one way to be saved and His name is Jesus. And then when we're confronted with our intolerance, we need to be able to humbly... Boldly, graciously, kindly confront those that are saying this, call them to repentance, and doing it in a way that we let God be God in their life. That's so important. Leaving the results to God. That's what they did in 19. Oh, I don't know about you, but I would have probably been killed a little earlier than these guys were killed. Do you understand? I would have said, You guys are crazy. (laughs) You have lost your minds. You are irrational. The Old Testament is clear. Get over yourselves and embrace Jesus. Repent. Or, if I was in another fleshly moment, I would have said something like, Hey, I'm just, I I can't say anything. This is, I can't say anything. And just walk out. Or let me go or kill me, whatever. Here, they use masterful logic. Uneducated, untrained men. Masterful logic. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. In other words, I'm with God. Do you want me to go against God? You judge. I'm with God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. You judge. In other words, I'm with Jesus. You need to be too or you're going against God. Whatever your response, that's okay. That's between you and God. We need more people that will do this. How did they do this? Again, they encountered the Savior. They understood the gospel. They understood the word of God. The Spirit was working. At the Q&A, one of the men said, the problem with the church in America is we have lost the right to speak to our culture about moral judgments. I'm completely convinced that's true. Ladies and gentlemen our problem is is not that we are a bunch of uneducated untrained men that God has saved the problem is, is is that we really much of the professing Christian church in America has not really encountered the Lord Jesus they don't really know him and so therefore their morality looks just like the world and therefore, the world looks at them and says, I'm not going to ask you anything about your moral discernment. Do you understand that many times, even in American history, the morality in some ways were, were better. There were some choices that were done better. And they would go to people, the peoples like the Puritans and ask them and listen to them. Even though they were outside, many of the people were unbelievers, they would go to them and seek wisdom from them. Why? Why? Because their message matched their life. They knew Christ and therefore... Isn't this so important? These guys knew Christ. And therefore they stood boldly and the people knew. How about you? Does your life match the gospel? Do you look like your Savior? Do you talk like your Savior? We need Him, don't we? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time and Your Word. Reminded once again of how much we need You. Spirit, we need you to work in our hearts. We need you to direct our thoughts. We need you every hour, as the hymn writer says. Father, be our vision. Be our focus. Help us to be Christocentric, Christ-centered, Christ-focused. God, please, all of us need this. May we exalt you this week and honor you and pursue you for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.